Good morning, church. Great to see you this morning. Uh, we are starting a new series this morning called Ask Me Anything. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how this goes, huh? Um, <laughs> And we'll tell you a little bit about more what we're doing over the next couple weeks, but this morning we're specifically going to go through a list of questions that really you and I get all the time. Tell us a little bit more about yeah, that. Yeah, so basically uh, my email box fills up and I'm a little, uh, I'm a little OCD when it comes to... No. Yeah, yeah it's true. <laughs> um, when it comes to keeping track of what are the big questions that get asked on a regular basis because they often turn into sermon series. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to answer... Some of the top email questions that I get recur, I mean, over and over and over and over and over again, we thought it'd be kind of fun to answer them in front of everybody so everybody knew. Uh, and then next week, we'll do uh, Hot Seat, which is no prep, no net, just me and a Bible, you texting in questions, and we take them live and in real time. And then the last week, we'll take the most popular of those questions and turn it into an actual message and go from there. So uh, fun for you to watch and great for me to squirm over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> We will have fun. Yes, we will. Okay. Uh, okay. So um, we're going to do kind of, uh, we've kind of broken these d into different parts here. And so yep. I'm going to give you the first part. I'm going to call these the weekend service questions. Okay. Here, here's the de deal. Okay. Um, you're naturally verbose. Okay. Really? I yeah, talk? Uh, yeah. You okay. love to talk. All right. I'm going to see if you can do each of these uh, in three sentences. Okay. All right. Okay. Three sentences. They will be run on sentences, just so you know, on the front end. Okay. Why do we have a safety team? Okay, so why do we have security here at CTK? We do it because we care about you and your family. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, be, uh, be alert and of sober mind, or be alert and vigilant. And so we want to watch. Um, we live in a world, um, unfortunately, that's broken. And the end of that verse says, because your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for people to devour. And we don't see people as the enemy, but we do know that people can be victims of the enemy. And so we want to make sure that we're watching so that you don't have to, so that you can relax and take a deep breath, knowing that there are people who know what they're doing, who can look after this church family. It's a part of us being a shepherd. Um, and we want to be vigilant and, and make sure that you know that somebody's paying attention to what's going on in the room around you and in the hallways, um, that's it. Absolute failure at three <laughs> That was one really long idea. Um, are, okay, this is, this is classic. Are there okay. places in the auditorium where the volume is either louder or quieter? <laughs> <laughs> so just for the record, I got this question twice last year, just two times, but we thought we'd throw it in anyway because you can tell we enjoy energy, we enjoy passion, we don't mind volume here at CTK. Well, some of us don't mind volume. Um, and what we want you to know is this. We did an upgrade to the sound system a couple years ago. The volume is actually within OSHA guidelines, and it's, it's just so you know, and it's, unif it's uniform across the room. But here's the issue. If you're sitting on the outer perimeter, you're sitting in the worst spots because that's where all of the reflection happens. And you're actually hearing voices multiple times. There's also bass traps in the back corner. So the best place to sit at our church is right here in this sweet spot, right here in the middle. If you don't believe me, I just challenge you to try it sometime. Move to the middle. Some of you are just like, but we've got a group of us and we stay together all the time. Bring the whole group. Move to the middle and see whether or not it's a better experience. Just okay. saying. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, why, I mean, we, we are on it right now, but why do we put like worship team members on the side screens? Uh, number one, it's because we want you to connect with people and you connect through your eyes and we want you to be able to see their faces. Um, to see, I was watching backstage, I saw Catherine. Um, she wasn't paying attention to anything. She was just playing her guitar. Her eyes were closed, and that's worshipful. That's inspiring. That's one of the reasons. The second reason is uh, we've lost many services to babies and cell phones. Um, 
Amen? Okay, no, we're talking about, all right. And we ask those parents if their child becomes disruptive or allowed to go to somewhere called the family room. And they're doing us a favor when they go that direction. And so when they go there, we want them to have a good experience by going there. And so when we put the worship team on the screens, it means the people in the family room are not just looking at a black screen with white words um, for about 30 minutes of the service, which is not fun or engaging for them. And so that's the reason we do it, to connect with them and to make the room feel a little smaller so you can connect with the people up here. Um, we're not doing it because we want to create this big show. Okay. So not interested in doing that. Uh, actually, I've gotten this question quite a bit. Why don't we have communion more often? Yeah. So uh, we do communion four times a year in this big room. Uh, you can probably tell serving communion to thousands of people is a logistic nightmare. It's a lot of work in order to be able to do it. You know, those little cups don't fill themselves. Um, and it takes hours to be able to fill all of those. And so when we do it, we really want to do it well. First um, uh, Corinthians 11, which tells us how to do communion, does not describe any frequency. In fact, I would encourage you to be thinking about doing communion more with your small group, doing it with your family doing it within your marriage, I think that's really, really healthy. Okay, you're not breaking the law by taking it outside of this room. Um, in fact, I think it would be really, really good if some of us did. So we do it four times a year. We don't want it to become kind of a pre-programmed ritual. Um, and because there's no standardized frequency in Scripture, we just want to make sure that it stays fresh and sacred and real. It's a sacrament for a reason. And so that's why we do it about four times a year. Okay. Um, some people have to miss services on a weekend. They're traveling, all that stuff. And, and I, we get this question, why isn't the whole service on the web? We only get the preaching portion. Why is that? Yeah, you only get the preaching portion because we don't want to break the law. Um, the, the songs are copyrighted. So you sang a song from Hillsong, Brian Torvald, different ones this morning. And if we put those on the web without paying a license fee, uh, it's breaking the law. It's breaking copyright. And we don't want to do that because that would be wrong. And so... Uh, in order to be able to put them on the web, you have to pay license fees, and they are really, 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 really expensive. And we've just decided we want to put our resources into other areas, and so we haven't decided to pay the license so far. Um, uh, and, and that's the basic reason why we, why we don't do that. Uh, Andy did tell me, so we've got this new thing. Uh, we actually say, there, there are playlists on Spotify. If you don't know how to do this, I don't. If you don't know how to do this, you can talk to Andy. We actually tell people like what we're going to be singing for the entire quarter. So you can download a playlist and listen to it in your car anytime you want to. And then you learn some words, because I know it's sometimes it's hard to learn words and stuff like that. But that's why we don't do the whole okay. service. All right, let me turn the corner a little bit and ask more some, some ministry-specific questions. Okay. Uh, we started talking about this uh, in the last few weeks, but what's changing with our hunger relief ministry? So we've always had a conviction that, um, is the three-sentence rule still in play? Um, well, let's pretend it is. No. Okay. <laughs> All right. This one will be very challenging. Um, we had a dream to try and feed twice as many people as we did last year. That was the dream, because um, we really believe we have a responsibility uh, ever since Christ the King started. We believe that no one should go to bed hungry in Whatcom County if the church has anything to do with it. And so we decided we want to make sure that we feed hungry people. The reason for that is really out of Isaiah chapter 58, because Isaiah says this to all Christians, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the wanderer with shelter? 
So we have a biblical mandate. We don't get to, we don't right. get to skate on this one. It's unbelievably important. And scripture then says, the reason you're going to do this is because then your light will break forth like the dawn. You're actually going to bring light into the darkness. And, and God's righteousness is going to go before you. And it's going to make Jesus famous if you do that. So we take that very, very seriously. So we made a decision. We've been doing the same thing. And I know change is hard. The same thing through a food bank for 15, 16 plus years, even longer than that, ever since I've been here. And I've been here since 99. So we made the decision, what if we could do more? God blessed us with this thing called the CTK Farm. Last year, they produced 50,000 pounds of fresh produce, um, which is something that a lot of people that go to a food bank get food in a can, and we think they, that we should give better if we can, and fresh is beautiful, right. and it's wonderful. So we made the decision. We were going to work with two new community partners and double our impact. That was the hope of what we're doing. So here's what I can tell you. The first partner we're working with is the Boys and Girls Club of Whatcom County. Okay? You probably know them for their sports programs and their tutoring programs. What you don't know is they actually serve meals to 300 kids like on a regular basis, on a recurring basis. We're going to partner with them and make sure they get produce needs um, because kids may not like carrots, but they'll eat carrots if we give them to them. Okay? That's kind of how it works. Um, the second partner is the Foothills Food Bank, which is actually located in the part of our county where the highest concentration of hungry people actually are. So we're trying to work with partners who are doing a better job of getting food to the people that actually need it. We're going to work together with them, and we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus out there. If you're interested in this, uh, there's a meeting on January the 19th, Thursday, 630 to 8, room 212. The information is in your program, uh, and I want to encourage you because uh, we need uh, carrots don't peel themselves. You know that, right? So carrots don't peel themselves. We're going to need people to plant them, harvest them, wash them, peel them, put them into the kind of containers to get them to the Boys and Girls Clubs so that we can get them into the hands of kids who really, really need it. So that's what's changing. We're doubling our impact and doubling the work that we're going to do to try to feed hungry people because yeah. our Bible tells us we're supposed to do that. Well, and I would say this. I'm so impressed with what the, our people who are at the farm. So if you're serving at the farm, thank well, you yeah, so thank much. You. What you do, it's amazing stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, student ministries. We've had a lot of turnover. What's, yep. going, what's going on there? Who's in charge there? So uh, Pastor Fred is going to take a little break from ministry, and we love Fred. We're going to miss him, but he's going to stay involved in the family. He actually preached last week at downtown. Everybody loves Fred, um, and we're going to continue to love on him. Uh, we hired a next-generation pastor who's going to look after everything from ecclesia all of the way down through kids' ministry. And so this person is going to oversee the people who lead those individual ministries. Um, his name is Lem Usita. Lem just arrived. Okay, he got stuck on the other side of the mountains because of all the snow in like coming over from Sacramento over into Southern Oregon. He got stuck there for a couple of days. He actually made it finally, which is great. Um, is, is and Lem here? is actually in the room somewhere. Lem, Lem where are you? Are you? you here? Lem. Oh, there you are. Hey, Lem. Guys, that's Lem. Oh, there you are. Okay, Lem. awesome. Yeah, hey, welcome. Uh, hey. A little bit about Lem. Uh, Lem has been a professor for the last 14 years. He was at San Diego Christian University uh, for the last 10 years, and he's been a professor in youth ministry. So we're very excited to have him on board and excited to have him in ministry. Yeah. So. He's actually a doctor. I mean, he's yeah. like Dr. Lem. Yeah. Um, we're not going to tell the kids that. We're not going to tell the middle schoolers and high schoolers yeah. that because that could become very dangerous information in their hands. <laughs> so anyway, but we're super excited to have Lem here with us, and he's going to be leading the charge in that area. So. Um, 
Speaking of that, we also had some change in women's ministry. What's going on there? Yeah, so Pastor Denny retired earlier this year, and she was looking after women's ministry and missions. I picked up the missions part of her portfolio, which is a job all by itself. And then uh, we have been looking. We have a team of ladies who actually run our women's ministry. And uh, this past week, I walked in on Monday. There was a lady standing at the counter, and she goes, hi, I, I work here. And I'm like, hi, I work here too. Who are you? Um, <laughs> And I met Aaron Graham um, because Aaron was hired by uh, that team to be able to lead our women's ministries. And so Aaron will be new. She'll be floating around here. And ladies, we really want to encourage you to get connected um, with Aaron and her team. She's not the only person. She actually leads a team. Uh, we've got a new thing coming up called Collide. It's coming to be hosted here at CTK. Some of you ladies in the room have been involved with Collide before. We're going to host them for the first time ever for us here. And they do an amazing job. All the details are in your program. But Aaron is the new leader of women's ministry, and we're excited to have her on our Awesome. Now, uh, different type of question. Now, I want to talk about philosophical questions. And philosophical questions are basically, why do we do it the way we do it around here? Okay? okay. Yeah. Um, here's a question. Why, why do we put such an emphasis on small groups around here? Ever since I started at CTK, uh, we've talked about small groups. And originally, I didn't even have a box for small groups. But here's what you need to know. You can't experience real community looking at the back of somebody else's head for 60 minutes a week, it's not possible. Mm, so true. We, you need a place where you can know people and actually be known, where somebody knows your name, knows what's going on, and can pray for you and love on you and give you the opportunity to do exactly the same thing. All of this comes out of Acts chapter 2, right? So God struck the template in Acts chapter 2 when he said the church was supposed to meet in the temple courts, big room, for impact, and also to meet house to house, for intimacy. And we need both of those. Yeah. We need intimacy and impact in our lives. That's just it. And so um, when God struck that template, we really took that seriously. Mm -hmm. And so we don't uh, just care about this gathering. We care about all of the smaller gatherings. We've had great movement and growth in our small group ministry, which is just absolutely wonderful. Uh, personally, I'm in a small group. You're in a small group. Yeah. And we love being in those groups because you create real community there. And uh, we're going to be doing a series coming up after this one called In This Together. Uh, we're going to tell you some stories during that series. One of the stories is, is so Pastor Brian Steele's one of our small group's pastor. His wife, Katie, was diagnosed with a brain tumor earlier this year. Uh, we're not only going to tell you the story of how God touched her and healed her, which is a beautiful thing, but we're also going to tell you the story of how their small group surrounded them. Because I'm going to tell you something. I've seen this in 27 years of being a pastor. You never think you're going to need a small group until you hit a crisis. Right. When you have a crisis, you come running looking for a pastor, and the bottom line is there's not enough pastors to go around in our network. It's just not possible to get to everybody. If you're in a small group, you have a small group of people who will love you, serve you, watch over you, help you, and someday you'll get an opportunity to do exactly the same thing. It's really, really, really important. So that's why we put such an emphasis. It's because, okay. once again, the Bible told us to. Yeah. Community matters. Yeah. Um, this may seem like an odd question, but who can come to Christ the King? Yeah, you'd be surprised how many times I get this question. Hey, can my friend come to CTK? Um, and I would make an assumption that the answer was everybody, right? And there are. Every, anybody can come to CTK, which is wonderful and good, with two small conditions that we put on it. Uh, the person has to be safe. So if they're not safe then they're going to get an opportunity to meet our safety team because we're going we're to make sure that everybody here gets, is safe. We, we want that to be. I think that just makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. um, also, they need to be sober, okay? Now, let's be careful with this one. 
because uh, we do a lot of 12-step stuff here. We do a lot of recovery work here. We're all at some level working on our sobriety, okay? And that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is if you come intoxicated, um, we're going to ask you to come back another time when you're actually more clear-minded for your protection and for the protection of the people around you. It's as simple as that, okay? And so we want to always do that with love. We want to do it with respect. We want to do it with care. Um, I showed up at this place... Uh, Where'd that come from? Um, I showed up here broken. And people made space for me to work through my stuff. And we want to do that for as many people as we possibly can. Um, there's a beautiful story in Scripture in Luke chapter 14 of a guy who wants to have a banquet. And, and all the really nice put-together people don't show up. So he sends his servants out into the street corners to the corner of Bakerview and Meridian. And says, you just go find anybody you can and bring them in. And we will throw a banquet for them like you've never experienced before. And that's the kind of heart we want to have for people here at CTK. Um, I get interesting questions like that, like who can come? But I also get asked, um, how much does it cost to attend? Okay. Um, what do I wear? That's a very popular question. Another question uh, that a lot of people ask is, how long will it last? Because they want to know whether or not they're going to be held hostage for a long period of time. And here's what I want to encourage you. Um, don't assume the people we're trying to reach, uh, none of those questions are bad questions. They right. just don't know. Right. That's good. So I had a friend who came the very first time, never been in church in his life. He came on a weekend when we were doing communion, and he asked me afterwards, he goes, what in the world was with the shot glass and the cracker? Because <laughs> that is the worst snack I have ever seen served, <laughs> ever. <laughs> And people, some people would kind of like look down on my friend and just like, come on, like, no. He's actually a physicist. So when I walk into his environment, he's like, don't touch that. Don't put your hand over there. Grant, don't try and grab that big red beam of light. Your hands will melt. I mean, he will tell me stuff like that. It's because I just don't know. Right. And what we want to do is create a place where it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to not know. We don't ever want anyone to feel foolish. And so we just don't make assumptions about people's questions. It's just because they don't know. And there was a time you didn't know either. Right. So let's be warm and welcoming when we do that. Let's be the ones to answer the question. Yeah. Let's, let's, not, let's not shame people. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yep. Here's one. Uh, and probably this last season, we've got this quite a bit. But uh, why <laughs> doesn't CTK get more involved in politics? Um. Okay. Because Apparently, of that reaction. A, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think they know. <laughs> I'll give you the bottom line. So scripture tells us that Jesus is supposed to be the focal point of anything. So we put Jesus in the middle of everything and we let all that other stuff move to the sides. Because we want this place to be a haven. And there are people sitting around you, may freak you out, who don't think the same way you do. Um, but what do we agree on? We agree on the fact that Jesus told us that his kingdom was not of this right. world. And so we want to focus on his kingdom. Okay. Should you be involved in civic affairs? Absolutely. Should you vote? Absolutely. Should you let your voice be heard? Absolutely. But that can be very divisive in uh, that word, and we want this place right. to be unifying, so we put Jesus in the middle without apology, and we ask everyone to take a knee in front of Jesus, and we ask everyone to do one simple thing. Would you please put your faith above your politics? So we take it very seriously. We, right. want, we don't want to tell people what to think. We want to teach people how to think, which is through this filter and this grid. So we want to spend all of our time talking about that because we think that's the most important. Um, 
We think the other part is good and wonderful, right. but there's also, we also have this thing called the IRS rules, which is we're not supposed to touch certain things, um, and so we want to be obedient to what Scripture says with regards right. to obeying authorities and stuff as well. Well, and, and even at the elder level, um, we talked about this and said, no, we will not politicize the pulpit. It's one of, yeah. our, one of our rules, if you would. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right, uh, so this next question actually says that I'm going to answer it, so you better ask it. Yeah, so I'll ask the question. <laughs> um, and, and the question, Todd, why, why do we keep planting more churches? Why can't we just be satisfied with the ones that we have? Uh, great question. You know, one of the last things that Jesus said on planet Earth was go and make more disciples. And um, that passion that Jesus gave his disciples, we still hold on to today. And so we don't think the work is done because we have more people at our church. We want to actually start more and more churches because we feel like that's really one of the most effective ways of, of reaching out to lost people. Um, in 2015 was the first year in decades nationally that more churches were planted than closed down. So the trend is starting to reverse, and here's the deal. We believe God, and this isn't even of our, we actually believe that God has given us a vision to make or go start more churches. And so because we want to be obedient to him, and because we believe that church planting is one of the most effective ways of reaching out to people who don't know Jesus, that's why we're doing it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, this is, and, and we'd probably say we want to kind of spend maybe the, our last chunk of time, and these are kind of maybe the more meaty questions, yeah. the real life questions. And we get in our inbox, and, and people are, are literally coming to us going, I need help with this very real life situation. Here, here's the first one. So just a real light, easy question. <laughs> so why is there so much suffering in the world? I get this question more than any other question. This is the one. Yeah. Because we all experience it, right? Um, I can answer the question uh, theologically and theoretically. The reason there's suffering in the world is because the world is lost, broken, and hurting. That's why. But that doesn't take it to the deepest part of our soul, does it? No. It just doesn't. Um, so knowing that the world is lost, broken, and hurting, it means nobody's immune to suffering. At some point, we're all going, we're all going to touch that. And, and we create ideas about God before suffering touches us because when we're caught up in suffering, God either becomes our most convenient enemy, and we blame it all on Him, or He becomes our most powerful ally, and He walks us through it. And what I love about my Bible, what I love about Christianity is the fact that God did not try to sidestep suffering. He stepped into it. The Bible says that Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. You can't read through the crucifixion passage and somehow think that God does not understand suffering. Hebrews tells us that we've got this great high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. He gets it. Like, he really yeah. understands the pain of, of this place. And so we're all going to experience it at some level. The question is, how are we going to walk through it? How are we going to walk through it? My, I love 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Bible says this, but we have this treasure, Jesus, in jars of clay, so the fragile, easily broken, easily cracked, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You can't get through it alone. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. That's a promise right there. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that's the part that allows us to enter into the suffering so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And so, so 
the biggest question is this. Knowing we're going to suffer, are we going to suffer well? Mm. When the cracks actually show and the treasure inside of us begins to ooze out and touch other people, are we going to reflect well the God who knows our suffering and actually steps into it and right. doesn't, he's not repulsed by it, but he actually gets in up there and close to us. Are we going to allow that to become a reflection of who Jesus is? I walk into hospital rooms that don't have Jesus in the middle of it, and I always walk out thinking the same thing. I don't have any idea how these people are going to do this. Then I walk into a room where the Holy Spirit is there, and I go, where in the world does this peace come from? Where does it come from? Uh, Paul wrote in Romans 5, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. So we actually... Uh, the reason our, our suffering makes sense to us is because it has a purpose. It says, we know suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So out of our darkest moments comes this beautiful hope that God is still in control, that he understands my pain, and that I'm not alone in this, that I can actually walk through this with some level of victory. And so we ask ourselves the question, while I'm suffering, because it's, it's common to all of us, what can I learn about God and his character in the midst of all of this pain? Because God understands it. He knows it. So my suffering has a purpose. And here's what I want to say to those of us who, who may be walking through it right now. If God has a purpose in your suffering, it's because he wants to use that to touch somebody else who may be walking the same road that you are. The Jewish community has this beautiful, beautiful part of their history. It's called sitting Shiva. And it means that when somebody loses something, they're in a, pay, a, a season of deep suffering, the community gathers around them and they say nothing. Mm. They're just there. We think that if I'm going to be there, I have to somehow give somebody a band-aid for the bullet hole on their soul. I've got to fix it. I've got to make it all better. I've got to right. explain it away. And we just do so much damage other than just coming into that room yeah. and just saying, I don't, I'm here. When you do that, you enter into the suffering that Jesus experienced and you become his hands, his feet, his silence, his voice, his proximity, his presence. And I believe we miss out so many opportunities because we're so averse to suffering. We just want to stay away from it when we actually realize that, that, that God stepped into suffering so that we could also participate in that, knowing that if we suffer well, he's going to get all of the glory for that. And people see a difference. Boy, they see a difference every single day. Yeah. You, you know what's interesting? I'm, I'm thinking about this, is this common theme that we've talked about a few times now of, uh, of communion. Yeah. The very thing that Jesus asked us to remember was his suffering. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And if I could give you some homework... The best part, I believe, the best part of Scripture on this is 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 12 and read to the end. Okay. Peter knew what it meant to suffer too. Some of it he inflicted on himself. <laughs> that's, why that, that's why it's so gripping in that passage. 1 Peter chapter 4, read 12 to the end before the end of this day. I promise you, you'll be blessed. Okay, 1 Peter 4, 12 to the end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, we get these type of questions too. Hey, I blew up my marriage and my family. Um, how do I rebuild trust after I've broken, I've broken it, okay? And, and, and really the follow-up question that comes right behind that is, will I, will I ever really be fully forgiven for that? Yeah, so I way too often I get this. Uh, and I find myself saying the same things after 27 years. 
because I really think scripture speaks to so much of this. I hope you've noticed that every time we answer a question, we always keep coming back to this crazy book. It's because this is all we have. This is it for us. Um, we're a band with one song, and that's the song right there. We're going to keep singing it over and over again. Um, but I would say this. You blew up your family. Uh, number one, you've got to own it. And you can't own it in generalities. You've got to be specific. You've got to come back to the person you wounded and say, I committed adultery against you. Otherwise, it's this vague thing, and they don't know what you're owning and what you're not. Why do we do that? James 5 says, confess your sin to each other, and then you will be healed. So it starts with confession. Let's say own it. Then I'd say be humble. Stay low. Don't pull the, well, I confessed it to God. I confessed it to you. We should be able to move on now. It's like, no, you just tore a wound in the center of the soul of your relationship. That's going to take some time to heal. And you don't heal it with arrogance. You heal it with humility. Uh, James chapter 4, God opposes the proud. So he'll come against you if you do that, but gives grace to the humble. So stay low in that moment. I would say uh, slow down. People want instantaneous forgiveness and instantaneous reconciliation. It doesn't work. Yeah. And I don't think I'm misquoting the heart of the text. Isaiah chapter 40 says, they that wait upon the Lord. Now, I would say this. Waiting time is never wasting time in God's kingdom. So you need to slow down because everybody wants instant forgiveness, instant reconciliation, and it just, it doesn't work that way. And people often ask me the question, how long is this going to take to put the pieces back together? And this is what I tell them. Take the amount of time from the time you conceived the sin to screw it up all the way to the point where you actually got caught and had to confess. Take that and multiply it by the largest number you know, and you might be getting close to how long it's going to take to put all the pieces back together. It's going to take a really, really, really long time. So don't hurry through the process. I would say get help. Proverbs 15 tells us that the, the wisdom of many counselors. Now, I'm not talking about just throwing it open on Facebook and, hey, anybody want to help me? Like, no. No. For the love of Jesus, no. Um, those who are wise, those who are mature, and those who will point you back towards God, not the easy thing. Right. Because I've never found the God thing to be the easy thing. Anybody else in the room experience that? So you press into that. And then I would say at that point, when you own it, you're humble, you slow it down, you get the help that you need. That's when you have the idea to even start thinking about rebuilding. Uh, Isaiah 58, that chapter that talked about feeding the hungry, at the end of it has two beautiful names for Jesus. The repairer of broken walls. I love that. And the restorer of streets with dwellings. Well, what are streets with dwellings? They're houses, right? And what happens inside of a house? Well, hopefully it's a family. And so God says, I'm going to start putting those pieces together, but you've got to work through that difficult process at the beginning so that you can get to the ultimate end, which is to redeem the story. And I would say this, you know, when you can use your old pain, when you've exchanged beauty for ashes, you know you're healed when you can tell the story again to somebody else who's walking through the same pain and it helps pull them out of their brokenness to a place where God can really touch. You've got to redeem that old story. That's when you know you've actually been forgiven. When you can turn around and share it. And can you be fully forgiven? Yes. And if you don't think you can, you're listening to the wrong voice in your soul. Because the voice that says you can never be forgiven, that's the voice of condemnation and that never comes from Jesus ever. Can I get an amen from somebody on that? I mean, that's just not him. 
Right. So can you be fully forgiven? Yes, you can. Could it take some time? Absolutely. Is it worth it? Oh, yes. It's worth it. All right, 11 minutes, only three more questions. All right. You can do this. Let's get warmed up. The condition of the world scares me. I'm afraid. I'm afraid for my children. I'm afraid for my family. What do I do? I, I know as a Christian I'm not supposed to live in fear. Yeah. Okay, so uh, boy, this one, especially this last year, uh, we live in fear. We're afraid to go to the airport. We're afraid to go to the mall. We're afraid to go out. And so what's the natural response? I'm just going to stay in my house, shut my garage door, and watch a lot of reality TV. Um, oh. And you'd be surprised how many people actually think that's, that's the option, right? Um, I love Psalm 112. So I've been reading devotionally 1 Peter and, and Psalms lately. In Psalm 112, the Bible says, surely the righteous will never be shaken. So if God says you can't be shaken, the only reason you're experiencing shaking is because you're allowing yourself to be shaken. And I see a lot of fear. And when people start unpacking fear, here are the big categories. I'm afraid to die. So the fear of death, I want to remind you, your Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So that's an upgrade. Still scary, but it's an upgrade. Fear of persecution. My Bible says if you're insulted for the name of Jesus, you're actually blessed. So don't be afraid to take a shot for him. He took a shot for you. It's fear of hardship, right? I just, I just don't want my life to be hard. Hate to break it to you. Your Bible says in this world, you will have trouble. Right, right. You will. Not if, but you will have trouble. But what's the last part of that verse? But don't be afraid because I've overcome the world. So we have that. We have that beautiful gift to us. And so... Honestly, I think the biggest fear that we experience in North America is we're just afraid to be uncomfortable. I just want my life to be perfect and alone. I don't want my faith to actually cost me anything. And to that, I will remind you, actually, your faith costs Jesus everything. And that's the direction that he's leading us. So we go to Ephesians chapter 5, which says this, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise. So don't be foolish about it, but as wise making the most of every opportunity. Some of your translations say redeeming the time. So making the most of every opportunity, because I find this to be true. In a world that's filled with fear, they gravitate towards people who are not afraid. So I'm only talking to those of you who have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus said to you, do not be afraid, obey that commandment. And don't hide. Parents, I got a question for you. What are you teaching your children if you insulate them to the point where they never have any interaction with the outside world because you're just afraid to put them out there. I got a question. Isn't your God big and strong enough to look after your kids? I hate to break it to you. He loves them more than you do. And the safest place your kids can be is in the palm of Almighty God, not just holding your hand. Right? It's kind of scary stuff. What does God keep saying? He keeps saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Because the world needs to see examples of people who are not wrapped up in fear, but instead are leading boldly. I read the Revelation at the end of the book. My God's a warrior. I want to live that way. He has a shield. He will protect me. I'm not going to be foolish, but he will protect yeah, me. That's good. I think we need to live our theology. Okay. Another area of... Uh, pretty prevalent. And yeah. it's basically this, is how do I get over past hurts? Um, 
and it's, it's usually come in this form. I, I seem to have this bitterness or this anger or this rage um, towards a person who has hurt me. And how, how do I move past that? Yeah. So I would say I believe unforgiveness is epidemic in the church today. Where we want to be forgiven, but when it comes to forgiving somebody else who hurt us, it's like, that's just too, that's hard. That's mm. hard. And it is hard. Because often this question comes to me in the framework of somebody abused me. Oh, right. So I was a victim, and I'm, and I'm trying to find a way to forgive. I just don't know how. I don't know how. Um, and I would say this. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it's a verse that nobody wants to hear. It says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's hard when you're holding pain. Let's be honest, right? But what it means is this. You only need to forgive people to the level that it took God to forgive you. And I don't know about you, but my sin caused the death of God's son. It was so egregious and so painful that that's what it caused. And he did it out of love. But I, I'm only called to forgive to the level and standard that it took for God to forgive me. Well, that means I've got to forgive. And I'll ask you the question, what's the alternative? So the alternative is bitterness. That's the only option. And bitterness is simple, right? Bitterness is when you drink poison in the hopes that it'll hurt somebody else. That's what bitterness is. So God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. And I want you to understand, forgiving is not forgetting. It doesn't mean you need to forget what happened. Because then often you'll learn the lesson and the ability to be able to help somebody else. Not forgetting. Forgiving does not mean there has to be a relationship with that person. In fact, someone hurts you. Maybe the worst thing you could do is have a relationship with them. But that doesn't mean you can't forgive them. Forgiveness is not condoning. It doesn't mean that anything they did was okay. Right. Like that's really, really important as well. So here's what forgiveness then is. Forgiveness is releasing them from your judgment and putting them in the hands of God's judgment. So you take your hands off and say, God, I'm going to trust you. Why why should we do that? Because God said vengeance is mine, okay? Not yours. You're not going to handle that well. Vengeance belongs to me, and I'm going to balance the scale. So what you need to do is forgive them and stop murdering them in your heart over and over and over again, because that's the cycle we get stuck in. Here's the harder thing, I think. It's what if the person who needs to be forgiven is you? Because I hear that. I, I can forgive people who've hurt me. What I can't, I can't forgive what I did. This is going to shock some of you, but uh, let's just talk for a second. I think that may be the most arrogant statement that a human being could ever say. I can't forgive myself. Because the Bible says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. If God can forgive you, why is your ability to forgive yourself not strong enough to receive that? Right? That's good. So what we say is this, I can't forgive myself, so that means I put myself at the top of the org chart, and nobody else gets to go up there, and I'm bigger than God, and my decision rules over top of God's. That's not what Scripture says it's supposed to be. God says, my forgiveness is good enough for you. Why isn't it good enough for you? I think we've got an epidemic of unforgiveness, and I would just simply say this to God's people. Allow the forgiveness of God to be the prevailing act of forgiveness in your life. 
and let it seep into the cracks of your life. And then release yourself from your own judgment because while you're believing that you're all wrapped up in that, you're just in a different kind of prison and the Jesus that I know wants to set you free. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're really describing this as unforgiveness really is its own prison. Very much so, yeah. Hey, thank you. Not pulling any punches, is he? Um, Let's finish with this. Okay, real quick. Yeah, you got this, you got this. Uh, (laughs) How do I engage with people who don't believe the way I believe. Well, let's have an honest moment. We don't do this very good, right? What do we normally do with people who don't believe what we believe? We avoid them. (laughs) That's what we do. We stay away from them. We like to get in huddles where where we only agree with each other. I think that goes against the model of Jesus. I I read the Gospels, and I see Jesus interacting and interfacing with the Pharisees, who he had deep, deep disagreements with, and he was always having the conversation with them. Yeah. I mean, God's holy, right? Jesus is holy, but he's always interacting with sinners. The woman caught in adultery, the, the lady by the well, all of his disciples, right? Yeah. He's interacting with them on a regular basis because he wants to stay in the conversation. And I love interacting with people who don't agree with me because hmm. I think it gives me an opportunity to be salt and light. If you're only hanging out with people that are like you, you don't get to fulfill the Great Commission, right. which is go and make disciples. We're supposed to do that. And the only way we can do that is to have conversations with people who may even be openly antagonistic. Um, but I actually believe that's what God has called us to. In fact, I, I love this verse, Colossians chapter 4. It says, let your conversation. And I want you to notice something. It doesn't say, let your condemnation be always I think we get way further with conversation than we do with condemnation. Um, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so it's grace and truth at the same time, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's why we're doing the series, right? Because the Bible says you're supposed to know how to answer people. Now, you don't need to answer them instantaneously. Sometimes, I think it's really cool when you say, wow, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. Give me a week and I'll go and find it. Plus, it's another excuse to get back together again, right? But I think God has called his people to engage in the conversation. It's assumed that we're going to be having those kinds of conversations. And when we don't have the conversation, we're missing out on glorious opportunities. We're supposed to redeem the time. We're supposed to use those conversations as a way of touching people and reaching people. So I think God's called us to do that. So I I, I have, I, I got a, one of my best friends is an atheist. He, he just thinks I'm a screaming idiot for believing what I believe. But we were having this conversation not too long ago, and he, he just laughs because he goes, if my friends knew that I hung out with you, like, they, they'd freak out. What an honor to be able to have yeah, for sure. my friendship. I love this guy. He's awesome. He's amazing. And I think it's, what I think is amazing is this. He completely disagrees with me, but he'll say this. The fact that you've stayed in the conversation this long, I don't agree with you, but I respect you. And I think that's important for us to get our heads wrapped around, that we have a glorious opportunity to touch people where they're really, really at. And we miss that opportunity when we decide to stay in our holy little huddle and just say, I just, I'm not allowed to reach out. I can't find anywhere where that type of an attitude reconciles with this book. So let's have the conversation, as uncomfortable as it may be. I think it's incredible. Awesome. 
Well, over the next couple of weeks, we want to continue this conversation. And uh, you've seen in your program, there's a, a number that you can text. Um, and what we want you to do is maybe the questions are starting to pop up in your mind right now. Start texting us those numbers. And we're going to be gathering those numbers. And um, you next week, without really any preparation to this, in fact, we're even live texting. You know, we want to do all that uh, next weekend so where we can just ask the questions, have an honest answer, and uh, just go with this. So we're pretty excited about this. Yeah, so it's going to have a live element. So I'm going to be flying without a net. Um, this will be the only net that I bring with me um, next week. And uh, not that I have all the answers, believe me. Um, but I think it's important for us to have this conversation. And so you're going to get a chance to text stuff in. And there will be people who will begin to be looking, compiling the questions. If we've got themes that are emerging. Uh, here's one thing they're not going to do. They're not going to filter the tough ones. No. I think, I hope we've earned their reputation. We're not afraid to go there. We're going to go there. Um, and if nothing else, you can come next week and watch me squirm. Uh, yay. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> hey, can we thank Grant for this morning? This was great. Let me, uh, let me close our time in prayer. Lord God, thank you that you're a God who does not mind the hard questions. Lord, I pray that as things have bubbled up in our hearts today, we would have the courage to take stuff forward. Holy Spirit, prompt us. Lord God, move us to ask the types of questions that you want asked in this space over the next couple weekends. And Lord, I'm just so grateful that you're a God who has given us the written word as a means of understanding this world and understanding who you are. And so Lord, I pray for really just more of your word to penetrate our lives, to transform us, to change us, to grow us, and even to mature us. I ask this boldly in the name of Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.